Yeah, so this one time when I was hiking up a volcano. Hold on. You were hiking up a what now? A volcano in Guatemala. It took seven hours to get to the top. I was there for a project with my friend, volcanologist Stephanie Grokey, who also happens to be our guest today. Okay, I'm going to need more details. What is it like? Why were you up there? Oh, we'll get there. I'm Gabby Salazar. And I'm Anaza Alam. And we're National Geographic Explorers. And we get the question all the time, how do you become an explorer? And what does an explorer do? Well, we're going to tell you. Today, we're going to talk with one of my good friends, Stephanie. She's a volcanologist, someone who studies how volcanoes form and erupt. The big questions driving my research are basically how the Earth works and specifically to produce volcanoes. So I'm interested in learning why volcanoes produce different styles of eruption and why some are more fatal and hazardous than others to eventually get to the point that we can predict these styles of behavior, so that when eruptions are hazardous, uh, we have an idea of how hazardous they will be, and we can basically plan for them. Wow, so her research could be literally life-saving. That's right, and a lot of people live around volcanoes around the world, so we need those types of signs. More than one million people live near the volcano that I visited with Stephanie, so if her work can help better forecast eruptions, it could help keep people safe. Stephanie had visited this volcano before with a large group of scientists to gather data on what it looked like as it was erupting. But with so many people living nearby, Stephanie had the idea to go back to the site with a photographer, that's me, to tell the story of the volcano to local people and to people in the United States. She wanted to use cameras to study the volcano. And that's how I ended up hiking for seven hours. In order for this expedition to be successful, we had to summit a large volcano called Santa Maria, which is not currently active, um, in order to get a view down to the active lava domes that are spewing ash and, and erupted material pretty steadily. And mind you, this isn't just hiking with your camera and casual backpack, but this is carrying all of our equipment to the summit, which inherently, inherent to this technique is cameras. So it's a lot of heavy equipment, cameras, um, lenses, uh, tripods, batteries, and, you know, we knew that we would be up there for a few days. So not only did we need regular supplies that you might think come along with camping, like food and tents and tarps and things like that, but um, also enough batteries and equipment to last us a few days of running continuous uh, cameras and photography. I'm exhausted just listening to the amount of equipment. That sounds like hard work. So, in the dense forest can be really muddy and wet since we're in a relatively tropical climate. And um, it's a tiny little trail. You can basically go one at a time up through. It's really narrow. And it's so steep at times that it often is as if you're climbing stairs, just in the mud, to get to the top. And... Um, and then once you're at the summit, you finally reached it, and you think that that's where we're going to set up camp, but in order to actually visualize the active lava domes, which are on the other side, you have to descend about 20 minutes or so in the brush, so at this point there's no trail, you're just bushwhacking through the vegetation that's up there, which is quite a bit. It was extremely windy and extremely just stormy, and... Um, and also, you just climbed about 4,000 feet, so you're dealing with the altitude and you're dealing with 
the elements just by being exposed at the top of get to give it a, like a barren summit. So yeah, it is. It's not that once you're up there, you get to relax, but that's when the real um, the real trip starts, really. Gabby, I'm proud of you. Thanks, Munaza. It was not easy. And when we finally made it to the top, we faced a new challenge. Uh-oh, what happened? It was so cloudy, we couldn't even see the lava dome below. In fact, we could barely see anything. And we had no idea when the clouds would clear enough for us to collect data. Well, what did you do? Well, we had to wait. That's the thing with field work. You can plan and plan, but you can't control the weather or the conditions. So we had to wait and hope for the weather to clear up. That happens to me sometimes in my work with telescopes. The weather has to be just right for me to collect data. No clouds or high winds or high humidity. Did the clouds ever clear for you? Thankfully, yes. After about 24 hours and 10 cups of hot cocoa, the weather cleared and we were able to set up our equipment. We set up cameras in three different spots at the top that all pointed to the same place on the lava dome, the crater that was erupting. By combining photographs taken on multiple cameras from multiple viewpoints, Stephanie can create a 3D image of the volcano. That combined with time-lapse photography lets her measure how the volcano changes over time. Yeah, so the idea with this technology is that, right, we can see things that we can't see with our naked eye. So the volcano is constantly, every second, changing the way it looks. Um, It's evolving. It's a dynamic, basically living system. And we might only be able to see these intermittent explosions, but what's actually happening at the crater is it might be inflating a little bit, it might be deflating a little bit, it might be producing lava so slowly that you can't actually see it unless you're using this time-lapse photography to create videos that you can speed up and slow down to try and see these changes. So what we're trying to do with this technology is identify patterns in the behavior of the system or the volcano to see um, perhaps we can identify some of these patterns that... uh, come before an an explosion or a massive eruption. And if that's the case, then we can use this technology to say, hey, we noticed this behavior in the volcano. We think an eruption or a large explosion is going to occur based on this pattern that we've identified. What a cool way to use technology to help understand volcanoes. But I'll tell you, setting up those cameras was not simple. Of course, once we got up there, we had a short window of time where it was clear, so we did basically a test run of this technology. So we set up the cameras, and we're about to get them going. Um, They're all focused on the volcano, and then these clouds roll in, and so we don't even know where to focus anymore. Um, It is just a dense fog cloud coverage inhibiting our view of of the active erupting summit, which was our goal. So talk about failures. This is a time to really be patient and just, Um, You know, there's nothing you can do at that point. You're just waiting for a break in the clouds, and, you know, you have to make the most out of it and just appreciate where you are and the landscapes and let the weather do its thing. Wow. What does it look like to actually see a volcano erupting beneath you? I'll let Stephanie tell you. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, for one, we don't know when it's going to erupt, so every time there was an eruption, and in most cases, these eruptions are ash plumes. So they're giving this little kind of, think of it as a puff of ash coming out of the volcano. And sometimes these plumes are getting so big that while we were about 
you know, a thousand feet above the active volcano, sometimes these plumes would rise over our heads. So it's just amazing to see. And again, you never know when it's coming. So it was sort of this moment of, you know, someone was watching the volcano or someone would hear the boom and we would all shout to each other, you know, eruption, explosion, and we would all run to where we could see, have a good line of sight to the volcano. And each one is different and you don't know how high the plume is going to go. So you're always just waiting in anticipation of when's the next one going to be and then when it is erupting, you know, what's it going to be like? Okay, you know I have to ask, what's the one thing Stephanie always brings with her on her expeditions? As a geologist, I always like to have on me my hand lens to investigate rocks at a more magnified scale. So, like a magnifying glass? Spoken like a true geologist. And you know what else Stephanie has up her sleeve? Some wise words for aspiring scientists, of course. I wouldn't put science on a pedestal. I think that it's accessible to anybody who wants to delve deep into a subject that they're curious about. And... You know, I think if you're interested in learning about the unknown, literally discovering things that nobody before you has has known and figured out, if you are interested in that, then science is a great career for you. It allows you to explore an adventure, and it takes you to places you never thought you'd go. That is very inspiring. I wonder what she thought she wanted to be when she grew up. Definitely not a volcanologist. I actually thought I would probably be, you know, I was always impressed by those women in the fancy business suits who were working <laughs> in New York and, and just killing the, the, like, lawyer or banking or finance scene. So I just wanted to be one of those women in a business suit just on, you know, the hundredth level of a New York building. And now I find myself more in the outdoors and never having worn a business suit in my entire life. Okay, I'm a New Yorker, so I'm biased, but I think Volcanologist is way cooler. I 100% agree. Thanks for listening, future explorers. If you want to learn more about Stephanie Grokey and her work, check out the book No Boundaries about women scientists and explorers. It was written by me, Gabby Salazar, and my fellow explorer, Claire Fiesler, and it's available wherever books are sold. That's it for today's episode. Join us next week as we talk to a linguistic anthropologist about her big work with languages. How We Explore is hosted by Gabby Salazar and Manaza Alam. This podcast was written by Allison Shaw and Emily Everhart. Rebecca Cunningham is our audio producer, and Claire Fiesler is our editorial consultant and field recording specialist. Music composed by Ijo Leo, with guitar by Axel Borgmo. Curtis Cross is our audio engineer. Gabby Salazar is our producer, and Emily Everhart is our executive producer. Special thanks to all interviewees for agreeing to participate in this project.